Hi there, this is Bursting the Bubble, a podcast hosted by teens for teens. I'm Sohana. I'm Z. And I'm Yuna. Join us as we navigate through life as international students in Singapore, balancing adolescence in an ever-changing world. Every week, we explore our personal lives, current events, and everything in between. So tune in to Burst the Bubble. So this week, we are joined with a special guest. Freya, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, um, my name is Freya. Uh, I'm 17, and I go to school in Washington, D.C. right now. Before D.C., I used to live in Singapore for seven years, and before Singapore, I used to live in Bangladesh, Dhaka, Bangladesh, for nine years. We just wanted to thank you guys for all the support that we've had um, after we put out our first episode. Um, There were so many people DMing us, telling us that we were um, doing great things. Yeah, it's crazy because honestly, we didn't think that we were going to get the support that we got. Um, Yeah, so I think that even though uh, this episode isn't necessarily going to be about Black Lives Matter, we do really encourage all of you to continue to educate yourselves and hold conversations, Um, especially now as the news cycle turns and maybe moves on to some other topics. It's important to recognize that um, the relevance of the Black Lives Matter is is continuous and fluid. Um, So, yeah. So the coronavirus in Singapore has lasted very long, and I think it's impacted the entire world. And there's a specific group of people in Singapore who have been hit the hardest, and those are the migrant workers who work at construction sites and many other places. And they essentially built Singapore and really helped us get where we are today. And they're the ones that are being hit hardest because of many factors that really come into play, and we're going to really talk about that today. But before we move on, Um, I think Freya is going to give you some stats about what the issue looks like in Singapore. Yeah, so around 200,000 of the work permit holders who work in construction um, live in dormitories, according to Josephine Teo, who is the Minister of Manpower. Um, And they often live in rooms housing 12 to 20 men in one room, um, all sleeping on bunk beds. And so sources have said that over 90% of Singapore's 38,000 COVID-19 cases come from dorms. Um, Of the 422 new cases in Singapore, as of June 11th, 416 of them were workers residing in dormitories. Yeah, so definitely the the majority of our cases is extremely concentrated in the dormitory sites. And so in Singapore, the dormitories are pretty much on the outskirts, very far from the city, um, which, I mean, there's a lot of social reasons why people don't necessarily want them uh, closer to the city, which is obviously another issue. Um, But it's pretty far away and secluded. One thing I think that we could start with is, um, I think Yuna was talking about this a few days ago, but um, a lot of us are subscribed to this service, which is called like the GovSG um, WhatsApp text. Um, And basically what it is, is it's a text service where they tell us the daily amount of community cases um, for COVID-19 and also just give us some reminders of like to wash our hands and to stand six feet apart, that kind of stuff. Um, And I think we were talking about how um, a lot of the time when they send us these reminders, um, when they talk about the migrant worker um, cases, they normally separate them into cases that are outside of the community. Um, They'll talk about them like 
um, they're not really a part of the community because they'll say community cases and then migrant worker cases. So I think for us, this leaves the impression that they're not a part of the community and they're pretty much just working for us rather than contributing to society the way that we all are. I like 100% agree with that. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, I had one of one of our mutual friends sent me um, a screenshot of the GovSG WhatsApp messages that you guys get. And I noticed the community case thing and the outside of the community case thing. And I got this at like maybe like 10 p.m. And I went over to my parents and I just ranted to them for like 30 minutes because I was just, I was shocked because like being a permanent resident of Singapore, I have lived in Singapore for way less time than a lot of these migrant workers have. I've contributed less to my community than a lot of these migrant workers have. But for some reason, my like me getting COVID is more is of more importance than these migrant workers who have just made such a larger impact than I have in the country. It just it shocked me because I feel like they're a part of our community just as much as I am, if not more. So I don't know. It was just it was shocking to me as, you know, someone who doesn't really like live there anymore. Um, just seeing this like obvious divide between like this obvious divide kind of made by higher ups to make mm -hmm. sure that there's this constant separation between like citizens and PRs and um, like, you know, work permit and S pass holders. And I also think it's just representative of a larger issue that p individuals hold. You know, I think it's representative of the mentality that a lot of people hold because I've heard um, a lot of my international peers say like, oh, at least it's concentrated in the dormitories, so it doesn't, you know, spread amongst the community. Like, um, I think it's good that it's, you know, so concentrated so it, it doesn't create a more exponential effect for COVID cases. But I think that you know, this type of mentality is sure it's optimistic in that like for health um, and in terms of statistics for COVID cases, yeah, it's optimistic. But I think that the fact that you can be optimistic is a reflection of ignorance and privilege because um, yeah, it's not being spread in our case, in, in the community maybe like outside of the dormitories, but it's spreading like rapid fire in the dormitories. Um, and it's the people who built Singapore in such a short period of time too, like the house I'm living in, everywhere we go is being built by these migrant workers, and yet they're so unfairly targeted, um, it, it, you know, by a pandemic, because a pandemic doesn't discriminate by, by race, gender, anything, it hits whoever and, and everyone. Um, and so I think that it's just so tragic that people can hold that type of mentality and not, not realize how much of an impact they've made for Singapore. Yeah, um, one thing I really want to bring up is that, like, through the eyes of the people who are saying that it's concentrated and whatnot, I think there's this strategy of segregating infections in that, like, it shows infection patterns and, like, shows where, you know, the corona cases are concentrated and stuff like that. But I think that there's this mentality that people are like, oh, like, we're winning the battle against corona or, like, Singapore is, like, really getting out of, like, the danger zone and corona. And I don't think that success should be determined by how many community cases are there, but like the total number of cases, like you can't just look at migrant workers as like separate or like they're not a part of Singapore, they're just a statistic. Like, I think it's really problematic that 
people are saying that, oh my God, this country is like, obviously we were doing a lot better than a lot of other countries, but in terms of like the mentality of thinking that success is determined by the amount of community cases instead of like migrant worker cases, I think that's really problematic because I know that my own family, like, I don't even think they look at the migrant worker cases. Like, I think they just look at the community cases and they're like, two community cases, we're good. Like, I don't know, it just, I think this mentality really has to change because like, they've like built where you're sitting right now and you can't even look at a statistic that like, tells you how bad they're doing. I think, I really think that people need to educate themselves about how to look at this issue. Um, in a more positive light, recently the government just released some, uh, some, some designs for the new quick build dormitories. Have you guys heard about this? Like at the construction sites? Yeah, so basically um, they're, uh, they just released some designs for new dormitories that they're about to build. Um, because obviously the dorms were a big contribution, contributing factor to why it spread so quickly because, you know, there's like, there's one set of toilets per 15 beds, like Freya said earlier, um, and there's less, there's less than 4.5 square meters per resident, including shared facilities at the moment in most of the dormitories. Um, and so they just released these new designs called quick build dormitories, um, and it'll be less than or equal to 10 beds per room. Um, and only single deck beds will be used. And there'll be, at the moment, for toilets, it's one set of toilets per five, 15 beds, and the new ones are one set per five beds. So I definitely think that the government is really responding well given the circumstances. Um, I don't think that any other government, you know, given all of the, the hardships that we're faced with, um, could respond in the same way. Um, yeah, so what do you guys think about that? Do you think it's a, it's a great step in the right direction? Yeah, um, I was going to say something similar. I think, I mean, overall, I think the Singapore government has been pretty transparent with us. Um, last night I was watching, sorry, I'm like sick. Um, last night I was watching um, this speech by a senior minister and he was basically just giving us the stats. Like he wasn't trying to cover it up. He basically told us that at the peak of the migrant worker cases, I think it was something like 20,000 on May 12th, which is a crazy amount. Um, and so he wasn't afraid of saying that, which I think is great because I don't know if other governments would do the same, um, especially because Singapore does hold a reputation for being a great country um, and also just having like a high GDP, that kind of stuff. So. I think it was surprising to me, but it was a good surprise. Um, yeah, no, I think I, I actually haven't heard of these reforms. This, like, I, this is the first time I'm hearing, hearing about this, but um, I just think I'm glad that they're taking such swift action and they're being so honest with um, everyone who lives in Singapore because that's really what we need right now. Um, but I just think that Singapore has been hit with like, they were hit with SARS in the early 2000s. The government has had um, instances like these where when um, when viruses kind of hit the community really hard, um, it hits the migrant workers the hardest and they've had to make changes and stuff. So I am glad that reforms are being made. However, <laughs> uh, love you, Singapore. But uh, I just think that it's, it's about time. You know what I mean? Like it, this is long overdue and there's still 
there's still reforms that should be made within the system. It's it's very hard to police the system because, um, you know, individual contractors and construction companies are essentially responsible for their workers. Um, but I did see reports of, you know, dorm operators being like the Ministry of Manpower is visiting every day to make sure um, everything's hygienic and up to standard and that everyone's following rules, which is great. Like, I, I hope this, I hope there's more policing within, like, I hope there's more policing within private construction companies and contractors moving forward, because I think a lot of these companies get away with a lot of, like, horrible things, like underpaying their workers, having them work very long hours. Um, and so I just hope the Ministry of Manpower kind of continues this positive trajectory of just being swift with their actions. Um, and making sure that the workers are like happy and healthy because again, that's the least, their happiness and their health is the least that we can give to them after everything that they've given us. And I think that's something that's really interesting is I think this whole situation has really brought to like issues within the dormitories, but a lot of what people don't realize is this is still a systemic issue, right? Like um, there was this post by cape.sg that some people on Instagram, that's the username. Um, and it was showing like this, this trajectory of what the bigger issues that the migrant workers are facing. Um, and TWC2, which is one of the organizations um, in Singapore that are advocating for them said that dorms are not the biggest problem because workers are more concerned with more severe issues like, um, like wage payment issues and premature termination, prevention from making injury claims, no access to medical care, forced repatriation. There's a lot of other issues like salary deductions and, and bigger systemic issues that people don't realize um, are going on. And so I think what's really important is from now on, like even though dorm issues may now be being addressed with these quick build dormitories, it's important to not just stop because new dorms are being put in because like one issue is being addressed, but then now we have to move on to the next one. Um, yeah, no, I think that we need to go further than just addressing like the dorms because that's really just like the surface level of what the systemic issue is. I read this article on like the Straits Times and it was talking about like how it was like coronavirus figuring out what to look at um and essentially there was like this story which was that as this lady was just saying that as an employer of an indonesian nanny i received an email advisor from the government urging me to keep her at home on her days off the fear was that these women who keep singapore homes clean would practice poor hygiene nonetheless and spread the virus with their um, construction worker boyfriends. On the other hand, I was trusted to move freely and comply with safe distancing measures. And I think that this really, like, it shows the systemic issues because why is a domestic helper and a migrant worker any less, like, hygienic or, like, why do they have more restrictions than we do? Especially for the domestic helper, since she's living in the same household as the, like, the citizen or the tourist, whatever, like, I think that's really problematic. Um, and I think that really highlights the systemic issues, like, here in Singapore, because if you're looking at a migrant worker and a domestic helper as being less hygienic because I know that was like an excuse that people were saying like all over social media oh they come from a place with like low hygiene they don't really know how to practice the hygiene that we have I think like that's just people trying to like not look at the problem or like just push away the problem and I think that what we need to do from now on is 
um, really just look at it more than just what it is on a surface level. Like look at it as an issue that we're all facing because like if we look at migrant workers as a statistic or like people who are just put far off in places that we never visit, we're not going to want to create any change. But if we change our mindset and say that, oh, like they live near us, they're like entitled to the same rules as us, I think that would definitely change this mindset that a lot of people have. Um, yeah, I was just going to say like, um, as a Singaporean, I've pretty much lived here my whole life. Um, and when I was younger, I think I never really realized how quickly Singapore was built. Um, when I traveled to other countries, I noticed that there weren't a lot of construction workers. And I guess that never stood out to me, like how my house was able to be built in like a year, two years. Like that's a crazy amount of time, if you think about it. Like other places that just doesn't happen. And I just never realized that growing up. And I think part of that was also my education because even though I did go to an American school for most of my education, um, I went to local school for like half a year and there was never once when these issues were brought up in the classroom. And even though I feel like Singapore does preach a lot of racial harmony, um, but I feel like that's very concentrated. Like they'll say racial harmony for the races and ethnicities in Singapore only. And then they won't like talk about foreign workers or domestic helpers um, and those kinds of issues. So yeah, I was just gonna ask you guys what you guys think about that aspect, the social aspect of this issue. Um, okay, so being Bangladeshi, like being from Bangladesh, living there for a majority of my life, um, when I used to come to Singapore a lot when I lived in Bangladesh as like, it was essentially my second home. So I would come during like spring break, summer. Um, and when I was little, I would just be amazed by how every time I came home and I looked outside my window, there were like two new buildings. <laughs> like I, I literally saw Marina Bay Sands being built tower by tower every time I came to visit Singapore over like a two year period. Um, so that was insane to me. And I never, I don't know, I just never really understood it. I just knew that my dad would always just tell me that Singapore's just like very efficient. Um, that's just the culture here. They're hard workers. Things just happen super quickly. It wasn't until I started living in Singapore and like I'm sure you guys know about like your experiences like on the morning bus <laughs> um, and like looking outside of your window and I, I just thought about this like a few days ago but I have seen the physical divide between myself as a Bangladeshi and the other Bangladeshi like migrant workers in Singapore just from like my daily rides on the bus in the mornings and I've seen it for seven years but it wasn't until last week when I was like wow <laughs> like I literally watched all of this happen for seven years every morning and I didn't like even think about it I didn't think about how here I am privileged sitting on an air-conditioned bus going to a very expensive private school um, being able to get my education and this man, maybe less than 10 years older than me, is sitting on the cold metal of a very uncomfortable pickup truck, essentially, um, on his way to work for 10, 12 hours for minimal pay. And I literally saw that happening for so long, but it just never occurred to me how that was 
just that that shouldn't be normal <laughs> like that it, it it was just so normalized to me for seven years that I became desensitized to it and I'm gonna be honest like I really did not I wasn't as invested in migrant worker issues until I moved to America because that's when I was like okay this is not normal everywhere else I knew that it wasn't normal anywhere else because I had visited America and had visited other countries while living in Singapore but I think a lot of us have become so desensitized to it that we don't even give it a second thought um and yeah I mean it just made me feel even worse because they're from the same country as I am and like I still didn't like take the time to think about it so yeah I think as you guys say we lived we lived in a bubble for so long and I think it's important for us now that they're in the spotlight to actually try to change some things. I think it's also like the little comments that people make that I've grown up with and didn't realize are so harmful you know like I've had lots of friends saying like oh I got scared passing by this construction worker at night or like oh those workers are kind of sketchy like these are small comments that I've heard growing up for pretty much so like like it's, it's like part of your daily language I think um, when you go out with friends or when something happens and it's like that's not normal um, and so it's I think a lot of this is realizing that a lot of us do have a stigma against them um, because the in order to combat that you have to recognize it for the first in the first place you know um, so I actually interned at uh, Transient Workers Counter TWC2 which is an NGO that has been really active in supporting migrant workers especially during the coronavirus period but also like um, throughout the year because I interned two years ago and I really was dealing with the legal aspect of the company so I wasn't really just like I wasn't involved in direct service like handing out food or you know things like that but I I was really invested in the legal aspect and I helped draft um, letters um, to certain individuals talking about how they could help and I think it really comes to show how these workers, like I was just reading like the things that they have to go and like follow like the bylaws and it's very strict. Like they really don't have that many freedoms. And I, it was just like confusing to me as to how people who spend 15 hours, 12 hours of their day building things so we can have like something nice to live in, like, have so many restrictions on how they live in. So for example, they get a set amount of meals in a day. And it honestly just reminded me of like an army experience. Like I, like while reading it, I was like, I was like, I, this isn't the way that a person who works this hard for the country should be living. But I'm obviously really grateful that the government does give them certain protections from their employer or like, um, they really do have protections. But I just think that the amount of rules that they have to stand by, it's it's just too much for someone who puts in so much time and effort. And so I think that when people start looking at them differently, when people start looking at them as like part of their community, these things are gonna change. Because obviously if you think of someone closer to you, you're gonna wanna treat them better. And I think Singapore is on that journey of realizing how to do better and how to learn from this experience. And I think they'll do really well in changing the system really, yeah. Yeah, um, I was gonna say on that note, um, I think a lot of Singaporeans are hesitant to, or were hesitant before this um, 
this issue kind of exposed the underlying prejudice against migrant workers. Um, a lot of Singaporeans are hesitant to help them because um, they kind of have this mentality that because they have worked so hard in the past and because Singapore has grown so quickly as a country, um, basically from third world to first world in like 50 years, that's crazy. And like a lot of people have lived through it, a lot of Singaporeans. And so a lot of them feel like, oh, I started from the bottom too. Like, why can't you work as hard as me to get where I am now? But also because of that, they don't realize the systemic issues that we've talked about. And they aren't willing to, sometimes like some employers aren't even willing to pay the amount that they said that they were gonna pay. So yeah, I think that's one of the issues that kind of drives this prejudice against the migrant workers. One of the things the government said, um, I think it was, it was just the other day that the government urged Singaporeans to reject the, the not in my backyard mindset. Uh, you know, people who think like cleanliness concerns and cultural differences are reasons to not bring dorms closer to residential areas. Um, so I think that's one of the first steps is really just changing the mindset. I think that's something we've been talking about so often here. Um, and that is one very important future step. Um, so yeah, so some future steps that um, Singaporeans can take, as well as international students who live in Singapore. Um, honestly, the first step that you can take is to educate yourself. Um, you should check out the COVID Migrant Support Coalition, which is at CMC, CMSC underscore SG on Instagram. Um, they're a group of uh, social enterprises around Singapore who have been working together to pool, don pool donations of necessities for dormitories and pool funds. Um, in just three months, they've been able to deliver like 50,000 meals, almost a million dorm support items to like 530 dorms. And you can check them out to see if you can, uh, to see how you can donate like actual things to them to give to the migrant workers as well as, um, you know, donate funds. And another, I think we talked about how we kind of have to start changing the mindset of Singapore. I think that you know was just talking about it. Um, and so there's a social enterprise that I'm volunteering, remotely volunteering for from here. Um, they're called Migrant X Me or Migrant and Me. Um, their Instagram is at Migrant X Me. And their focus is actually on education. So uh, I've been working with them on how to kind of create a curriculum for younger students. Um, and they're essentially teaching these younger students about where a lot of these migrant workers come from, um, what Bangladesh is like, and they host like these things called learning journeys for um, some secondary school students that are essentially like guided tours around um, the Little India and Farrer Park area, which is where a lot of the migrant workers um, like chill, hang out. And they're also creating resources for uh, parents to talk to their younger kids about migrant workers and so yeah they they focus on education and they believe that if we teach primary and secondary school students and even younger students that these migrant workers aren't these stereotypes that they hear their friends talking about and I think the the main issue is that because they come from a lot of them come from third world countries and these students live in first world countries they kind of have this perception of a third world country which is very negative. And so that carries on throughout their adolescence and their adulthood. Um, this social enterprise, and I'm sure a lot of other social enterprises in Singapore are trying to teach um, the younger students 
how like accurate information about my coworkers, which is great. Another thing I think that is is really easy for international students to do is to obviously donate. I think that that's a given, very easy to do. Um, you know, home, it's raining raincoats, TWC2, Migrant X Me, there's a lot of great organizations in Singapore. Um, and another one is I think it's really recognizing the microaggressions that, that, that you kind of carry on a day-to-day basis, like the things you say, the actions you take. Can you hear my vacuum cleaner? No? It's not noticeable. Okay. A little bit. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I think it's our behaviors and the things we say that all contribute to the social stigma. So the first step is really recognizing these so that we can unlearn and then relearn. Um, and I recommend all of you guys to check it out as well. Um, there's a site called Rice Media. I don't know if you guys have heard of them before, but they're essentially a, a news site that will post everything that the Straits Times probably wouldn't. Um, they're oh, like, <laughs> no, like no shade to the Straits Times. I love the Straits no, yeah, Times. No, yeah. I've been subscribed to you guys for seven years, um, but like it's it's a lot of uh, contributing authors who are like millennials of Singapore, um, and they've published numerous articles about how COVID has affected migrant workers. Um, actually, the reason I became so interested in this topic is because I read one of their articles when like the COVID cases in Singapore were like starting to increase drastically and the articles have like a lot of interviews from dorm operators foreign workers themselves and i just think it's very refreshing to see this type of journalism in a place like singapore because um there's just like they talk about a lot of other things as well on the front page when i checked today it was about like a beatboxer in singapore so there's a lot of (laughs) things you can read about and like educate yourself on but they have a lot and i think they're working on a series with the COVID migrant support coalition um, specifically about how COVID has affected the migrants. So I highly recommend checking that side out. Um, yeah, we just want to wrap this up because I think we've gone over like 30 minutes, but we really hope that you guys learned at least one thing from this podcast and, you know, educate those around you. If you don't live in Singapore, we hope you learned about the issue and don't come in with, you know, these stereotypes and the mentality that we have been trying to change. Um, we also just want to say a big thank you to Freya. Um, thank you. Um, thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking about this. Um, yeah, so if you guys do want to help out, um, the links to the organizations will be somewhere below this podcast. You'll find them. Tune in next week. We don't really know what we're talking about, but that's a surprise for you. Um, and yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, Catch us next week to continue to burst the bubble.